Hey there, welcome to the What's Your Thing podcast, where we're all about great conversations with interesting people. That's right, I'm Brennan. And I'm Caitlin. There's something awesome about every person, a thing that makes them truly unique. We wanna know what it is about everyone, so we're asking. What's your thing? All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in again to the What's Your Thing podcast. I am here with Nick Burton. Uh, Brennan is uh, off this week. He is on vacation. So let me give you a little bit of info on Nick. Nick, thank you for being here tonight. How are you? Oh, just so happy I was able to clear my not busy schedule to uh, do this with you. So Nick Burton, the uh, club owner, co-owner, and runs a comedy house. And you also tour. You have a one-man show that you've toured all over Canada in eight different countries, correct? That is correct. We're hoping to make it 12 in 2024. Um, it all depends on if they want a guy from Metcalf yelling at them at their local bar in English. I mean, it's probably yes. I'm a huge fan of stand-up comedy. Um, I know you from back in the day when you were an actor uh, in front of the camera, and I've been to your club and I've seen your stand-up. I think it's hilarious. So I would love, uh, it's, so it's obvious you've had a career in media. I would love if you just give us just a general, um, just jump into, you know, you said you're from Metcalf, you got into movies. Now you're touring uh, comic, plus you own a comedy club. So just to generalize, like, sequence of events, how did we get here? Um, So I actually was in stand-up for many years before I uh, got into acting. Acting was a gateway drug from uh, comedy. Nice. Comedy started by a bet. Um, from one of my now competitors, I used to be a bartender at a rival comedy club. Um, and the owner just bet me a hundred dollars that I couldn't make people laugh. And I honestly had absolutely zero interest in doing comedy before I started. And then I caught what they call is the bug where you go up and you enjoy it and you feel that feeling that people describe. It's like, you know, when like people do heroin and then they keep doing heroin because they want to feel like they did the first time they did heroin. I mean, I've never done it, so I, I can't confirm or deny that that's the feeling. But um, but yeah, so comedy happened first, um, mostly just very recreationally. Um, I liked the idea of getting drink tickets to insult people. That was like a huge uh, that was a huge plus for me. Yeah. Um and then I sort of realized that, yes, I do not want to do construction or bartend anymore. I would like to uh, kind of just be a professional mouth clown for the rest of my life. And that's mm -hmm. where the whole uh, production angle of things came. And I find that myself and a lot of different comics are, you know, mercenaries for hire, jacks of all trades. Like we are comics, we are actors, we are writers, we are MCs of events, any, anything where you just need somebody to either be on camera or talk into a microphone. It's a very wide skill set that I find not a lot of people are like outside of comedy. Not a lot of people are willing to um, be on camera, be speaking into a microphone because everybody has anxiety now and nobody wants to talk in front of people. Yeah. Um, 
I think it's pretty intimidating to just go out there and like lay your heart out there and have the immediate feedback of whether or not people think you're funny. I think you're very brave for doing that. I don't know if I could do that myself. Um, I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's a thing of bravery. I find um, it's like some P it's an extrovert thing, obviously, but I find like some of the funniest people that I know are not comedians but there is just a difference between just being funny when we're just sitting around having a couple bevies talking about our day and being funny when people are expecting you to be funny. Mm. So it's. You get that. Would... Oh, you're a comic. Tell me a joke. Of course. I hate those people. Yeah. I always try and find out what they do. And then I hope that it's something that I can also ask. Oh, you're an orthodontist. <laughs> Fix the gap in my teeth. Like. Nice. Let's go, buckaroo. I don't get it as much anymore. My new favorite one that I get, and this is so funny, um, uh, if I'm hosting a show, so I end up filling in at the club. Like, I don't really book myself at Laugh Lounge. I have to be there anyway, but if somebody cancels, luckily I can just fill in. Um, so a lot of time I end, in, I end up filling in as the MC of the show. And the amount of times that people come up to me after the show and they're like, oh my God. That was so great. You should really try comedy. And I'm just like, what did you, what did you think I was just doing up there, bro? Like that, that one thing I won't understand. I don't understand how people just think if you're the host of the show that you're just a guy and you're not actually part of it. They're like, man, you should really do comedy. And I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it for like 10 years, dude. Like <laughs> what do I got to prove to you right now? How have things changed since you first started stand-up? And what are the challenges of being a stand-up comedian right now? So that is honestly a two-part answer. Um, I find that it is a matter of adjusting to the times and also um, uh, and also partly growth as well, too. Um, it has changed in a growth perspective, looking back at some of the material that I would do when I was younger in comedy, that now that I'm a little bit more seasoned and have just like a better scope on like life and being a performer, you look back and you're like, that's so hacky that I was doing that. That's such low hanging fruit. Why was I doing that? Obviously it's a part of your growth, right? Um, so in, in that sense, a lot has changed. Um, but as far as the woke mob and cancel culture and, you know, you see, um, you know, comics dropping left, right and center, um, it honestly, it's so hard to answer that question because I find like a lot of people, like a lot of comics get canceled, but I find a lot of comics get canceled because they like jerked off in front of somebody or they're like a creep or they, they did something extracurricular outside of comedy that got them in trouble there. The, I haven't seen as many comics getting canceled for things that they say uh, as opposed to things that they do. Um, and I will die on this hill. Um, I do think any topic can be funny. I really do. As long as it is delivered respectfully and professionally and you're not saying anything just like hateful or just blatantly ignorant, I do believe any topic can be funny. Um, there is there is a matter I do I do subscribe to yes, there is something about things being too soon. Um, I know there's tons of comics that are like, wow, 
I am a comedian. I have a duty to speak recklessly. I have to give my opinions on the Israel-Palestine conflict and or I need to talk about uh, when it was really popping. Like I need to talk about me, too, or I need like so many, so many different things. And again, I do think you you can talk about any topic. You can make anything funny. Um, But I think there's like a time and a place. So talking about anything, anything can be funny. Do you have a, like an opinion on whether society should have like an objectively funny or subjectively funny view of comedy? Like, is there things that we should just kind of accept? And then are there things that are just like more subjective, but like, should there be like a baseline of this is, this is funny and this isn't? No, because I I think that humor and stand up content brings out different emo different topics bring out different emotions in different people. So I don't think that there should just I don't think we should go back to medieval times and like open up like a scroll being like this is what we're allowed to talk about. This is not what we're allowed to talk about. Um, so for example, we at Laugh Lounge went almost uh two years without getting a single one-star review. And we got one one-star review from a woman who was very upset with some of the content that some of the comedians were uh, were discussing the night that she came. Um, count on, not to sound stereotypical, just count on a white woman with a Karen haircut to be upset on other people's behalf. That's just the way of the world. Um, but what I found funny about her complaint is there was an ethnic comic making ethnic jokes. Um, and she loved all of the ethnic jokes. But as soon as he made a joke that some would consider uh, derogatory towards women, she was up in arms about it. So it, it was so interesting seeing her laugh at a joke because I was at the bar serving her and I could see her losing her mind laughing over these ethnic jokes that maybe some people in the crowd were like uh that's not my thing that's like a little bit too much but as soon as he started speaking um he he basically it was just complaining about his wife and just like light misogyny which has been done in comedy forever not saying it's not hacky but it's just it is what it is um was super offended so when it comes to um, the the viewer, can you get upset at one topic, one taboo topic, but allowing another taboo topic uh, to go unpunished or unscathed? So to like that's that's a debate that I have with comics and just you know like my peers often is if is it that black and white? Is it you're I, either anything goes or you're offended by everything? Where, where do we draw the line in the sand? And I don't think that has really been found yet. So when you say, how is, how is comedy different? It's different now because I don't think anybody knows where the line is because some comics are way better at pushing the envelope and kind of teetering over that line than others, myself included. I like to get a rise out of people. I like to kind of walk on that line. I'm not going to say anything super fucked up where people are going to be like oh my god i can't believe he said that but i will say something we're going to be like you might groan you might mm. roll your eyes you might say i i don't like him 
I'm probably never going to see you again. So that doesn't really, doesn't really matter, you know? Well, maybe not since you're on tour so much. So how do you, how do you um, prepare for a tour that takes you across Canada, which is the largest country in the world, and then to eight different countries? Like, are you, are, do you have an overarching show? And then do you write geographical jokes? Or how would you prepare for a tour with just so many different places and so many different people? Um, so the, the preparation is honestly just booking. Um, a lot of comics have agents that do stuff like this and then they just kind of like show up. Um, I, I do mostly everything myself. Um, just kind of like being my own admin has just always been one of my more strong suits. Um, and I think that is an asset to have in comedy is um, being able to navigate the production side, not just the performing side. So to me, it is booking multiple shows in a row in all these different uh, places, um, alleviating as many costs as you can and just maximizing your prop. Because at the same time, this is a fun job, but it is still a job. They're, they're long gone are the days where, oh, I don't really care if, if I, mm. if I make money, um, I'll just get my, my name out there and hopefully they'll have me back. Now that we've, we've gotten our reps in, this is a job, this is how we pay our bills. Um, so I would say, how do you like preparing for a tour in stand up We're very lucky that, um, while a lot of comics see comedy as a dog eat dog world. And it's me against you. And I want that spot that you have. Um, I took a different route and surrounded myself with a lot of like-minded comics that we have a lot of mutual respect for each other. And we live all over the country there. I, I truly believe that uh, per capita comic for comic, I find Canadian comics are, monumentally stronger than American comics. I know like you see a lot of like, uh, this is just going to sound like biased Canadian, but I've done shows in the States and like the average comic, at least where I've been was uh, painful to watch. And mm -hmm. granted, like the um, there's now everybody, it's popular to be a comedian. Everybody wants to be a comedian. Now you, I have, um, I have uh, female comic friends that will go on Tinder and a guy will list comedian in his bio because he did one open mic at Yuck Yucks. Now you're a comedian, you know? Um, but no, I'm very lucky to have a lot of people in a lot of different places. And when you build a team, it's so much easier to get around the country doing stand-up when it's, when they're in your town, you have, you have work, you have stage time for them. Um, and they return the favor when you go to their side of the pond as well, too. So I find that is that that makes the preparation part of it a lot easier. Um, the only preparation uh, performance wise that I do is what you say, like, is there a certain thing that you say when you go here? And that is very, very true, especially for myself, where my act uh, like my one man show um internationally wanted locally hated that is mostly just crowd work so there's very few jokes that are that are in that it's a lot of audience interaction and that came about from me going to europe um when i'm performing here i am performing for fake barbie dolls and failed hockey players that is like the majority of the people that i perform with but when i walk into an international bar in budapest and i have 60 people in the audience across 
12 different nationalities. Why would I do my jokes when I have so many, I want to, I'm a social butterfly. I want to know about these people. And then that's where kind of like that sort of act goes. So when I'm in Canada, I have my local references. I know what to say to a bunch of drunk farmers from Saskatchewan. I know what to say to all the barflies that hang out in Halifax you know, city, country, it's all the same. Europe is a little bit different though. I, I find um, because it's such an international community and it's just a revolving door of tourists, expats, locals trying to uh, learn English as a second language. Um, it's, it's much more enjoyable, I've noticed for them audience-wise, um, feeling a part of the show and you know, like kind of just learning about their fellow man, if you will. So after being so involved in stand-up comedy for a decade, what are your predictions about where stand-up go is going in the future? Will comics have to have a social media present? Is that going to affect potential bookings or bigger bookings? Or, you know, is it, you know, hybrid now we need to be looking at, you know, I'm a stand-up comedian, but I need a TikTok or I move into acting. So what are your predictions about stand-up comedy for the next 10, 20 years? Um, yeah, sadly, I do think that a social media presence is almost, um, I don't want to say mandatory, but it is really going to open a lot of doors for you. Um, there are a lot of comedians that have not been in stand-up very long and made, you know, a couple funny 20-second videos on TikTok during COVID and got such a massive following. And now really strong comics that have put in a lot of work and a lot of years and so many reps and so many shows that are being overlooked by bookers for these TikTok, um, YouTube, uh, social media stars where... Yes, their name is going to sell out a venue and, it, you know, they're going to make their money. Um, but I would love to see them headline a show on a rowdy night in Cornwall or something like to make an example and see how they do. Um, you there's so many comics in Canada that are so good that are all working on getting their visas uh, to going to the States. And when they finally you know, get their, get their legs there. And they finally have their first meeting with an agent. It's so discouraging for like the first question that an agent asks is how many followers on Instagram do you have? And it's like, obviously we know how to play the game, but like that must be, you couldn't pay me to live in the States. I am, I am a Canadian performer. I have no problem going there, but uh, I, I don't, my, um, I have no desire to go to the States. And that would be so insulting if the first question that I was asked, it's almost insinuating like, so what can you do for me? Like, what can, it's like, well, why are we even having this meeting right now? You know what I mean? Like, I already know what I bring to the table as an artist. So what are you going to do to help me get the word out as an agent? So uh, yeah, social, social media is huge. Um, but not as huge as understanding the business. I think just understanding, having good working relationships with um, bookers, uh, producers, um, but to me, also building a following. There are, there are numerous, I'll make an example. Um, 
if you ask my parents who their favorite comic is, they don't say me. They say a gentleman by the name of Jeff Leeson. Now, Jeff, I would say, is not talked about near as much as he should um, in the comedy community. This is a guy who isn't jumping around, oh, hey, look at me, I'm doing this festival and I'm doing this and I'm doing that, is just quietly um, booked, let's say, 51 out of 52 weeks a year and is just covering the planet from top to bottom. But why is nobody talking more about this guy who can walk into anywhere? It doesn't need to be a comedy club or a theater. This guy could walk into a curling club. Um, uh, I've seen I've seen comics that nobody's talk about do what we're doing right now. Go on a Zoom comedy show and you can see people slapping their knees, peeing their pants, watching somebody on Zoom. It's crazy. Um, it, it's crazy seeing how blinded we are thinking that, oh, I need to be famous on social media before I can make a career doing this. And the best advice that I was ever given when I was very, very young in comedy, um, the best advice I was ever given was by Dave Merhaj, one of Canada's best, Juno winning comedian. Um, I was kind of picking his brain. I was like, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm getting anywhere. Like, what do I do? How do I make this work? And the best advice, and I preach this advice to everybody else, you need, if you're in comedy, very quickly, when you reach a pro level, you need to decide what you want out of comedy. What do you, what does your career look like to you? Um, and as soon as he told me that I had such a clearer picture. Once I applied that mentality, the difference in where I was a year from that three years from that all the way to now, um, I knew that I always wanted to do comedy, but you know, you have so many people that think the be all end all is, well, I need to be on Netflix. I need to have done every single festival. I need to live in New York. I need to be the most famous person in the world. That does not appeal to me at all. I would like to be able to do multiple tours a year. I'm a traveler. I want to use comedy to see the world. To me, like doing a world tour of like 50 cities across the world is much more impressive than a Netflix special because you met the right producer and you had a niche market that people wanted to to go on. It it makes me so sad because there are so many really, really good comics that are just brutalizing their mental health, comparing themselves to these TikTok stars and people that are people that are getting more opportunities than them uh, because they fit a certain niche or whatever Pete, whatever's hip and whatever people are looking for. And it's uh and I think it's just a sense of you didn't look yourself in the mirror and decide what is going to make you happy. What would be wrong with just making 60 grand a year telling jokes and like starting a family? You know what I mean? Like, that's not what I want. But like, when I think about that, like, what is so wrong with that? Why do you, uh, I think that's just an artist thing. Like, you can't just be in a band unless you want to be Taylor Swift. I, 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 I think some people would look at that as settling. I think in a different sense, it's why don't you just have a career doing something and be happy doing what you love? Nice. So on that, what is one thing that you would want people to know about what you do? 
like is this somebody that wants to start doing stand-up comedy or is this someone who is already in comedy and is kind of at a crossroads so for the general listener that doesn't know about stand-up comedy what would be something that's surprising about it and two for somebody that wants to get into it what would they need to know if they're like I don't I don't know if I want to be the Taylor Swift of the comedy scene but I also you know I don't want to be the wedding band singer of the comedy scene. What do I need to do? So two part question. Right. So for the average listener, um, I think, especially when I talk to like my friends or like, say I'm just having a couple of drinks. I'm just talking to audience members after a show. So many people think that stand-up comedy is like so glamorous. They're like, man, this must be like so awesome. Like what you do, like, man, like this is crazy. And it's like, I'm headlining in Lethbridge, Alberta. Okay. Like things are not okay. Um, (laughs) Until you can get to a left. This is such a weird comparison, but so many comedians like wrestling, like WWE. They, I feel like a lot of comedians, um, they, they resonate with wrestlers because like when wrestlers get to the top, life is good. But everyone that's just like trying to make it, it's just such a struggle. Like, I can remember, like, I can remember, you know, let's say like seven years ago, jumping on a Greyhound bus to go to some god awful town to open for somebody for 50 bucks because I just needed to get the work and I needed to go out there and do that. Going on the road um, with, with, with like, friends or uh no even worse going on the road and they're like hey this comic this is the comic you're gonna go on and you meet up with this person and they are just the biggest piece of shit you've ever met and you have to spend a full week with somebody who wants you to listen to their comedy album while you're driving eight hours to winnipeg like blow my brains out um going going on tour and getting to a venue and the venue telling you oh we didn't oh we forgot there was comedy tonight and now there's people sitting there watching uh, a hockey game and now they're turning off the tvs and you are now forcing stand-up comedy onto people because the person that runs the venue is an idiot and forgot to promote or forgot to do anything showing up to your accommodations and you feel like you're gonna get bed bugs and you have to share a twin bed with somebody like with another performer that like you don't even know that well that like people think it's glamorous and like the grind is soul sucking <laughs> well that you've really sold it that sounds fabulous to me <laughs> that's the thing i don't think people realize how toxic uh the stand-up industry is um and this by this by no means is me trying to deter people from getting into comedy comedy is for everybody come do your thing but buckle up at the same time because this is not I mean it's probably a little bit better now because like when I started comedy like I would get off stage and some of the more senior comics would be like that was shit you should quit that's garbage and um I truthfully wish there was a little bit more of that in today's day and age not necessarily like bullying but like now everybody's high-fiving each other oh go team go team no I think people should know that a bad performance is a bad performance. And now this has created a culture of delusional comics running around thinking that they're professionals. 
And now this just goes back to the business uh, side of what I deal with, where I'll have comics that are like, oh, I'm a pro comic. This is great. And they go to a venue and they charge a pro price of, let's say, 20 to $30 for amateur comics. So when people buy tickets to that show and it sucks, why would they pay $25 to come see some of the best stand-up? And I promise you, tell all your listeners, Laugh Lounge Comedy Club has the best comics in Canada. But it is so hard for me to convince. The average person goes to one comedy show a year. So if that one comedy show is they spent $20 on an open micer talking about jerking off for 20 minutes and getting no laughs, why would they spend the $25 to come see the best? absolute best comedy that you're going to see because people just don't know the levels of like what's good and what's bad right. the amount of times that uh like we'll get we're in the byward market we get walk-ins we have a sign outside people are like oh comedy and they walk in and they're like hey is there a show and i was like yes that's why there's a sign out there and then they're like well is it funny and i'm like no it's not <laughs> we are paying we are paying our bills off people bombing every day every night oh um, so then, so then what would you say to somebody who wanted to start to get into it? And then, um, I, I guess what you said is like, listen to people when they tell you if you're good or not. And if they say you're bad, that doesn't mean you have to quit, right? You just have to get better. Correct. I think I will give you a top three. Um, the top three I would say is do as many shows as possible. Whatever stage time is available to you, do it. Film your sets. I am the worst for this. I see comics. There are some comics that I employ that have such a good work ethic. Every time they walk into my club, they are setting up a camera. Even if there's only, even if it's an amateur night and there's 20 people in the crowd and, and you know, uh, they're only doing seven minutes. They are recording that set. They're going to go home. They're going to watch that tape and be like, hey, I've been doing this joke and I've been saying this line. This hasn't been working. I'm going to change it. I'm going to do something else. It's it's like a sports team. They're like watching tape on themselves and looking at, at ways to improve. So do as many shows as possible. Film your sets. That's just the work ethic part of it. I would also say don't do not. You don't have to be a TikTok star, but do not sleep on the business side of things. Be personable. Don't be a dick. Introduce yourself to everybody. When you're on a show and you walk into the room, introduce yourself to everybody. Hi, my name is so-and-so. Shoot the shit with people. Build connections. Um, and when I say don't sleep on the business side of it, if you're not getting as many quality opportunities as you think you should be getting, make yourself opportunities. That's what I did. I mean, I wasn't getting booked as much as other comics were when I was only a couple of years in. So then I started my own monthly show. Um, I believe you and, uh, and uh, like Alona would have came to that uh, like live on Elgin. And then I wanted even more opportunity. So I created my own comedy festival. And then now I've graduated to a, a full comedy club that's open every week, multiple shows a week. So um, be, be wary of the business side and be, be vigilant with making sure that you understand that you can't, there are too many people just sitting at home waiting for the phone to ring. That's mm -hmm. not going to get you anywhere. Go out and just make opportunities for yourself. Um, and for the love of God, be self-aware. It's so hard for so many people to be. And I, I, 
can comfortably say that is probably my best asset that I have personally. And I would say that's probably the best asset that any comic can have is being self-aware, knowing what your limitations are, knowing what you're capable of doing. It's one thing to have confidence in yourself and thinking that uh, you can bring yourself to the next level, but having realistic, um, a realistic scope of, of where you are as far as your career or where you are as far as the amount of time that you can do on stage, because that is, that is one thing that as a booker, I deal with a lot. Um, I have a lot of people, I understand shooting for the stars, but people just wanting to waltz in and being like, I'm a headliner. I should headline. I got to close your club. Well, I don't want to sound like, but back in my day, you know, like we would actually go out there and do guest spots and showcase for clubs. But now everybody's like, nobody wants to put their work boots on anymore because now people are like, well, I don't want to lose money coming to Ottawa just to showcase. I'd rather, I'm like, then don't come. I have people. I don't need you, you know? So yeah, I, I think the work ethic, um, being nice, making connections, um, creating opportunities for yourself if they don't come and remaining as humble and self-aware as possible. Those would, those would be my, my, my top three points. Awesome. Wow. That, thank you. So one more question, um, that we ask everybody, we've heard all about your thing and thank you for that. But what's, what's one thing about you that's, that's interesting. That's maybe not your thing. That's not my thing. Um, yeah, I forgot that this question was on there and I, I told myself I was going to put some thought into it and then I, that I didn't. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is how you answer this kind of question. Um, kids are not my thing. Okay. I don't know if that, I don't know if that if I should be saying like an activity, that's not my thing, but uh, now I'm at the age where everyone is getting married and having kids. And like, that has never been even a thought um, in my life. And I talk about this in my act all the time. Um, my girlfriend came with me in uh, on my last tour to Calgary and I got off stage and she was like, I have never watched you talk for that long about how much you hate children. <laughs> and we're just we're at that age now where everyone is getting married and having kids and um by no means necessary do i try and like talk i'm not like a weird um cultist being like join my no kids cult like you know um but it, it's uh subscribing to to that lifestyle has never really been um my thing so I guess that does kind of qualify as answering that question. Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, talking to us. Um, just before you leave, can you let people know where they can find you on Instagram maybe and uh, where they can find the laugh info on the Laugh Lounge? Yes. Um, so if you would like to find me, I am Nick Burden with an underscore at the end on Instagram. Um, I will be mostly around here for the next little while. Um, I usually host my Sunday show, Pros and Joes, at Laugh Lounge um, every other Sunday. Um, all the info that you need for Laugh Lounge Comedy Club is uh, Laugh Lounge Ottawa. 
Um, we will have a fancy schmancy brand new website very soon that's under construction. Um, but you can find all of our info on Instagram and Facebook, Laugh Lounge Ottawa, that has all of our links to all of the upcoming shows. Um, you guys unfortunately missed out on like a couple really fun things because we just had our two year anniversary and had lots of fun shows. And we just also had the fourth annual Dirty Birds Comedy Festival last weekend. But um, I don't know how long it takes to get your links out. This weekend, we have uh, Marito Lopez, um, one of Canada's best. Um, the following week, we have uh, Edmonton's favorite darling, Drew Bame. Um, and we also have lots of really fun stuff coming up in December. Um, so if anybody has any uh, last minute planning for their staff Christmas party and want to treat their staff to a fun night out, I cannot think of anything more fun than coming and joining us for a couple laughs. Um, all inquiries can be sent to lounge 613 at gmail.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Really appreciate it. You coming and talking to us and have a good night. So make sure to check us out. What's your thing pod.com. Check us out on Instagram, YouTube, follow us on TikTok. Check us out. We're going to have a blast. What's your thing? What's your thing?